Indeed, O oh God, we are a people who understand what it means to come to the mercies of a father and receive them freely. We are a people who have found favor in a God's eyes who, whose, whose favor we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, we didn't merit. In fact, what we earned was the very opposite of what we got. It was, it was judgment that we deserved, but we found favor. It was rejection, but we found grace. And we have grown to enjoy this grand and glorious heavenly celestial father of ours. We come to you this morning in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord, thanking you for receiving us into the family of faith. And now, O oh God, as men who are fathers, so many of us, we have an opportunity to reflect that kind of character into our homes. And I pray that you will stir us up to a greater accomplishment of such a, a task. It is a huge one. So much of our culture has a bitter taste in its mouth once it says the word Father. Might we be found as faithful as the God that we've just sung about. Oh God, we thank you for the kindnesses that you've shown us uh, individually, corporately as a congregation, and into our families. Guard them, oh God. I pray that you will use the, the, the remarks that have occupied these last seven weeks. Use them, Father, to strengthen our homes. Might our families find a greater sense of solidarity and solidity underneath them. Might this congregation not have to experience the pain and the, the heartbreak of seeing a father walk away from his family or a mother walk away from a family. Father, we are sinners indeed, and we bring our sin into our families, into our marriages, and we pray that by grace you will help us to forgive each other, to move our families onto a course of righteousness such that they might benefit and grow. Oh God, come alongside us. We long to have righteous homes, so assist us, we beg you. Now, Father, take our gifts. Compared to what's left in the checking account, they're small. But we pray that you will give us more generous hearts, a greater ability to trust you with our financial future. But what we do give, O oh God, every last dime of it we want to see used for the advancement and the enhancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do that, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. In whose name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 7, we'll read only through verse 12. Here we go. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Gang, as you know, we are in the, the, the final episode of kind of a seven-week series on the family. We started at Mother's Day, and I said we were going to conclude in Father's Day, and here we are, Father's Day. So we're going to take one more look at a, at a matter that I hope uh, will, will help in terms of family life. That's what this is about this morning. Now, gang, uh, some of the world's greatest mirror, uh, mysteries, uh, uh, things that have, that have engaged the minds of men for centuries are, number one, who built Stonehenge? Was it the Druids? Who built that thing, and does it have some kind of astronomical significance? The second great mystery is crop circles. You remember those things, the origins of the crop circles? Who did that? Someone suggested that they uh, were created by visits from interplanetary other galactic um, vehicles that landed And by so doing, created these formations in these fields. Stonehenge, crop circles, great mysteries. But no less mysterious is our third mystery, and that is, what in the world do women want from men? Right up there with Stonehenge, folks. (laughs) Uh, You know, as we all know, women came from Venus, while uh, men's point of origin is yet to be determined. Uh, Some say it was Lambeau Field. Others say it was Fenway Park. Um, But uh, be that as it may, we, we know that their points of origin are vastly different. Um, we all know that the rules that govern the behavior of, of those two genders are different. Um, I, I want to start this morning with some rules, four basic rules of manly men. Now, you know, I got this off my computer, so you know it's got to be the truth. Um, these are rules of manly men. May I read them for you? Rule number one. A man must never talk about, mention, or otherwise refer to the subject of pants to another man. It's okay for women to talk about clothes, anybody's clothes, in any context whatsoever. But for a man to mention the subject of pants to another man... Well, it just makes everybody feel awkward and uncomfortable. There are no exceptions to this rule. Such unacceptable phrases would include, Hey, Frank, how do you like my new pants? 
Wow, those are nice pants. Uh, You see how awkward and uncomfortable that makes you feel? And there is no situation in which this rule may be broken. Not even, hey, uh, buddy, your pants just caught fire is acceptable. Trust me, a man would much rather find out his pants are on fire himself rather than hearing from it about it from another man. Rule number two, never talk to another man in the public restroom. The standard is that a man is allowed only one verbal exchange at the sink and only at the sink. And that can only be about sports or the sermon if you're at church. For example, good sermon today is allowable. Or, yeah, how about them Packers is more than adequate men's uh, men's room conversation. Rule number three. Never verbally share your feelings with another man. This is not to say you can't share your feelings for him, just not verbally. He will most appreciate it if you do one of the following. Whack him on the back, (laughs) punch him on the shoulder, nod at him. For a man to do all three of these at once is the highest form of manly man affection. Here's rule number four. Never share your feelings about another man's pants in the men's restroom. (laughs) Going into a men's restroom and saying something like, Dude, let me tell you how I feel about your pants. Might just cause both parties irreparable damage in the community of manly men. Now, I knew that you'd agree that those are obviously uh, great truisms uh, from the uh, historical development of, of masculinity. But I hope we've settled all that um, for once and for all. Um, What I want to do this morning is try and answer some of the questions about what I'm calling a relational stonehenge. That is the relationship that exists between men and women. Why is that so difficult for us? Well, I'm not real sure, but I'm going to try and offer a bit of help. Now, guys, I told you, uh, those of you who were here in the announcement time, in your bulletin, there is this orange insert. You need, to, you need to take that out. Everybody grab one. And we're going to take a test. Now, here's what this is. I got this out of a James Dobson book. Um, it is 10 reasons, 10 causes for depression among women. Now, here's what I want you to do. You're going to have 90 seconds. Don't take a whole lot of time. Um, I want you, men, by the way, this is primarily for you. But I'd love for you, you women to take it as well. I want you to rank um, the ten causes of depression in women. Okay? Like, uh, here, here's the ten causes. You rank them. You find the one that you think is number one and put it in that column uh, right next to it. And then I'm going to give you the outcome of the national survey in a moment. You got it? Any questions? Get going. 90 seconds is all we got. Now, don't think about it too much. You'll get yourself in trouble. Um, just And no cheating. Uh, do your own tests. You notice I say, please don't sign this because we already have enough marital discord in our church. So just rank them up there. All ten of them. What do you think, gentlemen, is the number one cause of depression in woman? In, in, in your woman. And then number two, number three. Okay. You have 60 seconds. 
Rank them up there. Ten numbers shouldn't take you that long, you being the intelligent kind that you are. Ten causes of depression in women. Forty-five seconds. Those of you who didn't take the test, you're cowards. <laughs> Thirty seconds. Twenty. Ten. Five. Okay, pencils down. Now, guys, here's what I want to do for you this morning. I want to, uh, I want to do two things. I want to, I want to go over this test with you. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to look at the national survey that it, you know, was found in a James Dobson book. I want to take you to this test and see what we can discover there. And then as we close, I'm going to take you to a passage. Uh, the passage that I read a few minutes ago. And we'll take a look at that, and hopefully it will help us in this um, relational stonehenge in which we find ourselves. Now, understand that I am not saying that this is the final word. This is one national survey. It's a real survey. I didn't, I, this is no tricks. Uh, this is a real survey that took place. It appeared, as I said, in a James Dobson book. Uh, but it is only the results of one national survey, and it is by no means the final word uh, on a better understanding of women. But it might be a good place to start. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Okay. Here we go. According to this survey, ladies and gentlemen, the number one cause of depression in women is low personal worth. Um, now, what does that mean? I want you to listen to this explanation by James Dobson. He says this, and I'm quoting, It is sitting alone in a house during the quiet afternoon hours wondering why the phone doesn't ring, wondering why you have no real friends. It is longing for someone to talk to soul to soul, but knowing there is no such per person worthy of your trust. It is feeling that they wouldn't like me if they really knew me. It is becoming terrified when speaking to a group of your peers and feeling like a fool when you get home. It is wondering why other people have so much more talent and ability than you do. It is feeling incredibly ugly and sexually unattractive. It is admitting that you have become a failure as a wife and a mother. It is disliking everything about yourself and wishing, constantly wishing you could be someone else. It is feeling unloved and unlovable and lonely and sad. It is lying in bed after the family is asleep, pondering the vast emptiness inside and longing for unconditional love. It is intense self-pity. It is reaching up in the darkness to remove a tear from the corner of your eye. It is depression. Now, brothers, without trying to analyze that, all that for you and giving you the whys and the wherefores, I'm simply trying to reduce the gap between males and females. Number two, coming in number two in this national survey was fatigue and time pressure. Vince Lombardi once said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. Um, 
you know, when, when you're tired, you, um, you find yourself being attacked by thoughts and ideas and concerns and guilts that you, that you really thought that you had conquered some time ago. And, and guys, there is no one who runs much faster than the, than the mother of multiple preschool children. At least eight million husbands will stumble home from work tomorrow night and ask the unforgivable question, well, what did you do all day, honey? Don't ask that. Um, I'm just trying to help, brothers. Coming in at number three, actually it was a tie. There was a tie for third and fourth position. Uh, Tying at third and fourth is... Loneliness, isolation, and boredom, and absence of romance. Interpreted, I don't like myself. I have no meaningful relationships outside my home. And I'm not even close to the man that I love. You know, the Old Testament had an interesting custom. It's recorded for you in Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. In fact, I, I might even read it to you. Don't, don't turn. Let me, let me just read it to you real quick. What, what would happen if a young couple got married in, in Israel? Here it is. When a man has taken a, a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. In Israel, you got the first year of your marriage off. There were no agrarian responsibilities. There were no military responsibilities. Your whole intents and purpose was to try and make this wife, this new wife of yours happy. Now, brothers, let me know how it goes when you show this verse to your boss tomorrow morning and ask for the next year off. I don't think that you're going to be well received. But I can tell you this one thing, brothers. I know one person who would really appreciate the thought. Number five, financial difficulties. Now, of course, ladies, much or some of that you caused. <laughs> Stop that laughing, men. <clears throat> but, um, but be that as it may, brothers. You need to know that money worries are more stressful to women than you perhaps had thought. Coming in at number six, sexual problems, which only goes to prove that this is obviously a survey of women's hierarchy. Because if this was a survey of men, that would come in much closer to the top. Number seven, physiological problems, estrogen deprival is one huge problem for women. I hope you know that, brothers. Number eight, problem with children. You know, guys, uh, once a mother, always a mother. But, you know, once a father, always a father, too. Um, but they, they seem to take that far more seriously than we do. For instance, empty nest. That's a good thing in our, <laughs> our books, but it's not such a good thing for them. Number nine, in-law problems. 
That, to me, was only surprising in its relative unimportance to women. That, that would have come in much higher for somebody like me. And then the final item is aging. You know, about the time your, your face clears up, your, your mind goes fuzzy. Um, but guys, even here, in the midst of aging seeming to speed up, women still need the beauty of committed love. So, how'd you do? Um, how did you, how did your rankings compare to that national survey? I mean, if, if I were you, I wouldn't be so much concerned how I did compared to the national survey. But if I were you, I would try to sneak a peek at my wife's test and see how well you know your wife or don't know her. Um, but, but please don't forget, guys, all that I've just given you is only the result of a national survey. What I want to give you now is not a survey. Um, it is a piece of divine instruction. What I want to leave you with doesn't invite you to vote. It doesn't offer you the option of saying yes or no. It allows for no disagreements. What it gives you is a piece of biblical mandate. The only legitimate response to what you're about to hear is obedience. Now, that, that other test might elucidate some things for you, and I hope it does. But what you're about to hear as we close is not something that I hope will just give you uh, a new piece of conversation around lunch this afternoon. What I hope you will hear from this point forward is marching orders. Uh, the other might tweak your interest. This is supposed to grab a hold of your will. Because now I invite your attention to 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and, I, and I want to um, suggest to you that what you're getting here, gentlemen, is the answer to your relational Stonehenge. You want to know what women want. Well, I'm convinced that this passage will tell you. And ladies, whereas this may not register with you quite immediately... This is written by a man who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And thus what you get here is the mind of God is black words on a white page. And so I want to suggest to you that he made these words, in these words, you might find that he knows you better than you even know yourself. So, here's what women want, brothers. Look at the text. Verse 7, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Number one, here's what a woman wants, understanding. We men say, well, I just don't understand women. <laughs> Do you see the problem? We are being mandated 
to live with the women that God has given us in understanding. And we say, "Hmm, I give up. You can't give up. You have no option to give up. We are mandated by biblical principle to live with our wives in understanding. Because they need that. They're different. (laughs) I don't run into too many women, I don't run into too many men who say, I just need a hug. (laughs) Um, Guys, they burn more emotional fuel than we do. Yes. Um, But one thing that we might could do in our efforts to adhere and, and obey this biblical mandate is to commit ourselves to become engaged listeners. You did know, didn't you, that in communication, the process is not over once the words flow through the lips. You know, in physics, you might remember a physics course, there are three component parts to, to, to noise, to sound. Three component parts. There must be a vibrating object. There must be a medium through which the vibrations are carried. And there must be a receiver before sound can take place. So now you can answer the question, when the tree falls in the jungle, does it make any noise? Brothers, just because your wife is vibrating, and indeed the medium exists for the vibrations to be carried, it doesn't mean that we've communicated. Until there has been understanding listening. Now, maybe, maybe that's hard for you, but here's, here's a little trick. Eyeball to eyeball. Put the newspaper down. Put everything down. I am being charged with living with my wife and understanding and what might help is, is some astute, eyeball-to-eyeball listening. I think most women would call that a great start. But the one thing women need, according to this text, brothers, is understanding. And we're charged with that. Here's the next thing in the text. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them in, um, with understanding, giving honor. That's the second thing that a woman wants. Honor. Treating something with high value. That's when we honor something. Is that we, we communicate that this thing that happens to be a woman is so valued in our eyes. Guys, according to the book of Proverbs... The greatest gift besides the Lord Jesus ever given to men, males, is a woman. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, says Solomon. 
He who finds a wife has found favor from the Lord, says Solomon. Does she feel that? We're awfully quiet in here. Does she feel honored? Hey, hey, don't throw away all my golf clubs. Hey, get those french fries out of my car. Because we value the golf clubs and the car. Does she feel valued and thus honored like that? You know, I heard a preacher say this, and uh, this is not original with me. Most of what I say is not original with me, but uh, I heard a preacher say this, and he said, uh, he said, and, and obviously in his church, they have this handshaking time like we do, you know, greet your people around you. And he said, we ought to scratch that. He said, what we ought to do is say, all right, everybody, turn around and kiss your wife. Wouldn't that be fun? As long as it was your wife. Guys, could I give you another piece of advice? Don't be looking at your, your wife and saying, I already knew this. Don't, don't, don't say that. Act like this is brand new information. Act like you've never heard this before. Even if you have, just like, oh, really? Mm, okay. Because mm-hmm. um, don't act like, I've known this for years. Don't act like that. Because, huh? You can figure that out, can't you? Turn around and kiss your wife. Well, we might, we might set this place on its ear. Um, does my wife feel honored? Here's the third thing, guys. Again, I think you can, it comes from the text. Uh, notice, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, if being called weaker offends you, then you'll have to take that up with the author of this book. But assuming for the moment that this is inspired divine wisdom and truth, brothers, I tell you, the third thing that a woman needs is strength. Not bulging biceps. It's not the size of your thighs that she's after. But she wants a man who is, who displays a strength of character. You know, um, you, you know all this about women visiting gynecologists and women visiting preachers and how they get in uh, trouble with the preachers and the gynecologists and all that business. You've already heard all that, haven't you? You know what the deal is, don't you? It's not because the preachers are good looking. Classic illustration. It's not because the doctors are so handsome. It's because in that context, what is being communicated is a piece of strength. I know what you're saying. Here's what we need to do about it. That's what's so Such a turn-on for women is strength of character. Brothers, you know what that woman sitting next to you needs? 
She needs a man who has demonstrated over months and years that inside him is some strong stuff, some principles. You know, I, I was on my uh, elliptical the other day, and, and um, well, actually, it was, it was a couple of months ago, and um, it was the, the Barry Bonds scandal, you know, about taking steroids. You know, does anybody, you know, it's been on the ESPN for just months. I'm, I'm sick of listening to it. And he's about to come back after the all-star break and all that business. And, you know, who, anyway. they were interviewing Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling is the, a right-handed pitcher, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. He's the one that pitched with that bloody ankle in the, in the World Series last year. And really, it was quite impressive seeing him out there. And, you know, he kind of hurt his ankle and he's still on the DL and, uh, but anyway, they were interviewing Kurt Schilling as to what he thought about the Barry Bonds scandal. And so they were just trying to press him and press him and press him. And, and so finally he said, wait a minute, you know, I believe whatever the majority of the people believe, whatever that turns out to be. Did you hear that? That's a quote. I believe whatever the majority of the people believe, whatever that turns out to be. I'm telling you, he might throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, ladies and gentlemen, but that is cowardice. For heaven's sakes, gentlemen, stand for something. Because the one thing that a weaker vessel would respond to is strength. Strength of character. And then finally... I think really being implied in these, these latter verses, uh, verses really uh, 10 and 11, um, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from evil and do good, let him seek peace and pursue it, etc., etc. Here's what I want to suggest is the fourth thing that women need is a man who is growing spiritually. It's not that he's attained spiritually, but he's growing spiritually. Um, men, except for rare relationships, relationships, women love to see their men serving Jesus Christ. Tell me, women, would you rather see your husband sitting in front of the tube watching the masters, or reading a purpose-driven life? Would you rather have them reading Field and Stream or studying their Bibles? Would you rather have them out playing a round of 18 or sitting next to you in the pew? Go ahead, brothers, ask her. I dare you. Because what a woman desires is to watch her husband developing a greater and greater appetite for holy things. It thrills them to have a husband who values the things of Jesus. So, brothers, what, do you want, what, is, what does a woman want? 
She wants understanding, honor, strength, and growth. Is that you? If it isn't, then some of the difficulties that you're experiencing in your home right now will be traceable to voids in those areas. I can promise you. You know what I meant to do, and I forgot. Maybe I'll do it the second service, Lee. I meant to play one more time no white flag. You know that, that song where the woman says, I, am, I love you, I'm going to love you, I'll forever love you, and I'm not waving a white flag. I'm not giving up on this thing. I'm committed to it, and you, you can count on my commitment. I'm not giving up. Let's make that commitment together. What do you say? Our Father, I do pray that some of this information will be helpful for your people, that you'll use it to advance the, uh, the health of our, fa- our families, but also with health, healthy families, we hope, oh God, that you would see fit to use us to announce into our community that there is hope to be found in Jesus Christ. Father, what we see around us is a bunch of hopeless people who are doing hopeless things and continuing to spend as if there was some kind of solution to be found in another gadget. It's all so sad, Father. It's all so unfortunate. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will use our congregation, that you'll use me, that you'll use my marriage, you'll use my family, you'll use our families to communicate where hope can be found, where hope can be gotten, where hope can be developed. Not at Gracie Van, but in surrender to Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We are sorry we love you so little. We pray for the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to author within us more love for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.